0: You are listening to Mining Stock Education, where you'll learn from the top leaders in the natural resource sector and uncover quality mining investment opportunities.
1: In that book, I said that the, one of the big risks for silver investors is that silver would have a shortage. And this isn't necessarily a good thing, because if it's, we have shortages, then they're going to con, the the g7 basically is going to say that silver is a tr- strategic metal and if it's a strategic metal then they're not going to sell it to the public anymore you'll be able to sell your sell yours back but you won't be able to buy it you'll be able to buy sovereign coins but you won't be able to buy bars One thousand ounce bars for, those are off the off limits for sure but i think they'll take it down to 100 and even 10, 10 ounce bars where you can't even buy those so once that happens um i think the price of silver crashes now when does that happen I think, it's, I think we're fine until we get to $75 silver. I, some guy this week said $100. He probably is right. But once you get to somewhere around $7,500 silver and you have some serious shortages, the manufacturers are going to start screaming, saying, we can't find our silver. We're shutting down our plants.
0: In today's show, you're going to hear from my friend Don Durrett over at goldstockdata.com. And we ha- it's been a couple months since we uh, spoke with Don. So Don, welcome back onto the show. And uh, we've seen some volatility in the gold and silver uh, prices, and it seems to be trending down. There's debating whether we've seen the bottom or the bottom is still to be had for uh, this current uh, phase of where the gold price is going. What's your current take on what's happening in the precious metals right now?
1: Well, it's, you know, it's a really tough question to answer short, in a short amount of time, it really takes about, you know, five, 10 minutes to answer this question because of the, the complexity, but I, I'll give it a shot here. So my thesis is, was going back to November that I, that I thought that, you know, if, if Biden won, that it was going to be really good for gold and silver because I didn't think the market would really like, you know, a Democratic administration coming in, but that, that didn't hold. So once we got to January. We saw how the market gold and silver reacted in november and and december and and the markets overall. They basically we haven't had a correction since Biden was elected in in the stock market. And so we've had this risk risk on trade, and nobody really cares about gold. and and so we got to January and I, I basically I became bearish and I, I basically been bearish since, and I've been saying that gold is trapped. And what I mean by trapped, is the only way that gold can basically make a run and, and get to, say, 1,900 and then make a run to a new high is if we if that risk on trade flips and we go to a risk off trade. So basically, that's going to require a correction. So I've been expecting lower silver prices, but I don't know what the bottom is going to actually be. You know, we're, We traded under 24 yesterday. I think it's probably going to trade when the correction comes again. I'm expecting a correction in, in this, this quarter, or the next one, Q2 or Q3, of at least 10%. So, um, if that happens, I think silver is going to go down uh, below 22. So, we're looking somewhere between 1850, which is the breakout, 1850, 1870 is, is where gold broke out last July. So, we're looking at somewhere between there and 22. And I wouldn't be surprised if we go all the way to 20 when this correction happens. So I, I was hoping. You know, the gold could hold like 1800 and silver could hold 25, 26. So when the correction came, you know, 1850 uh, wouldn't be in play. But now they kind of are, which is kind of scary. But the other side of the coin is that if we look at all of the, that's why this is a long question, tough question to answer is if you look at the, all the factors that are kind of going into the gold price right now and all the factors that are kind of supporting the market. You know, again, this risk on trade, we haven't had a correction. You know, you have the the COVID issue. I mean, people are going to start going back to work this summer, but it's going to take until the end of summer until everybody's back at work. And we won't really even know, like when when I do my newsletters, I've been ignoring like the PMIs, uh, the the employment rates, all that stuff, and all your macro numbers. I've been ignoring them because until people go back to work, we really won't get an understanding of the full strength of this economy. So we're gonna have to wait till, you know, August, September before we really get a feel for the strength of the economy. And that's investors right now are kind of just ignoring the macro fundamentals and basically expect, for instance, the stock market being really high. They're ignoring it, they're just expecting the economy to come back. And I I'm just questioning that. And I'm questioning the, the the strength of the markets. How much MMT can work here? You know, it's, it's to me it's it's somewhat delusional this old MMT expectation that debt doesn't matter. I mean, that's really the new theme. Debt doesn't matter. We can borrow. You know, two trillion at a time. I mean, we just had. A $2 trillion stimulus bill. And today, Biden came out with a dual BBB, Build Back Better program. Both of them are over a trillion dollars. So, you know, we're looking at, you know, and, and he's going to raise taxes. It's the corporate tax rate. Uh, it's going to be raised for the first time since the 1940s. Let that sink in. And I've been talking about this, about how um, this is really the first change in the American economic policy since the 1980s. And, and everybody's ignoring it, no one's talking about it. Sorry for the long answer, but that was a tough, that, that question <laughs> required it. So, Don, Trump
0: was a borrow and spend, and Biden seems to be a borrow and tax and spend. So if, what's what's more bullish for gold here? Is it Biden's, how he operated, or Trump?
1: Oh, Trump basically scared me as far as being a gold investor. I mean, I remember back in 2016, the night he won, I went out to my car, and I, I before I turned on the key, I remember this vividly. Before I turned on the key, I was like, "Oh no, gold's going nowhere. Gold's going down because Trump is going to be a pro-business guy, and he was. And gold did nothing during his during his term. And I was pretty much right. <laughs> uh, Biden is not a pro-business guy, and the only thing that hurts gold is a strong economy. The only thing that pushes gold to new highs is the what I call the fear trade." And the big money isn't going to buy gold unless uh, they're afraid. And right now you have this risk on, they're not afraid and they're not buying gold. So Biden's going to make them afraid at some point because he's not pro-business. I mean, you can't um, raise the corporate tax rate and expect that to be a pro-business type of a move. Um, And on top of that, this economy was much weaker And people really acknowledge. The only reason why we had GDP growth from 2016 or actually 2012 forward is because of all this debt that we've added. People, A lot of people don't realize is that when we print money, that goes to the GDP. Government spending is part of GDP. If you look at the GDP for the last 12 months, it is including all that printing which is an illusion, That's not so the, under, the underlying strength of the economy is a lot weaker than people assume. Um, yeah, the 1% are, are doing fantastic, the top 5% are doing fantastic, but the middle class is getting squeezed, and that's a reflection of the inherent weakness of the US economy. We're no longer the dominant force. This goes back to my first question, I said there's a lot of complexities here. I think that Southeast Asia is now the dominant economic force in the world. No longer is the West, Europe, and the United States the economic engine in this world. Uh, GDP wise, we're, they're bigger. We've added all up. I mean, the US is number one, and Europe is right behind us. I mean, if you just as a group in Asia, but those are the three big groups, right? You got United States, you got Europe, and then you got Asia, Southeast Asia. I think they're the new dominant. Area. And I think that the dollar is going to, um, we're, we're playing with fire right now, thinking that we can borrow all this money and weaken the dollar and remain the dominant economic force in the world. I think mean, this is a transition point myself.
0: Don, as you know, it's in the economic uh, world that everybody's been talking about the rising interest rate on the 10 year treasury. Do you think that needs to peak out before gold uh, begins the next phase of the upcycle as well?
1: Um, yeah. So this is all. Sp- speculation, right? We don't know exactly how higher interest rates are going to impact everything. All we can do is guess. But I think that higher interest rates are basically bad for the economy, and the, and the stock market is ignoring it at this point. I mean, Dow's at 33,000, basically all-time highs. Um, and interest rates are rising. So you know, we got the 10-year at 1.7 today, 1.73. Um, if it gets to 2%, I've read where people think that is going to get the stock market to correct. It probably will. Um, and so then you're talking about something that the, the Fed has never done ever, which is, which is what the Japanese have been doing, which is called YCC, yield curve control. So the Japanese, back in 2016, they basically pegged their 10-year at 0. <laughs> you know, and they started buying bonds. Um, that was that's you know MMT in action. And so now everybody's saying, well, the, the Fed is going to have no choice. They cannot allow the ten year to rise above two percent. So they're going to have to they're going to have to peg the ten year. Well, I'll tell you what, it's not going to work. <laughs> um, there's a difference between the Japanese economy and the U.S. economy. There's basically three differences. The first is that the yen is not a global currency. So they don't have this pressure, external pressure, that we have. For instance, when we debase our dollar, the rest of the world that's using those dollars, they, get, they take a hit because the dollar's value goes down. So when they're selling their goods to us, they're getting less back. Um, that's not a good thing. Um, it's basically we're exporting inflation to them. Um, the second thing is they, internal, they basically internally uh, pay for their debt. Foreign countries don't own it very much of their debt. They do it all internally themselves. So they don't have that risk of th- a third country putting pressure on them, such as Japan was selling last week a lot of treasuries. That puts pressure on us, right? Japan doesn't have pressure. The third one is probably the most important, the most significant. They're a mercantilistic economy, they have a t- positive trade surplus. So it supports their dollar. We have a negative cycle. I mean, it's it's like night and day differences between the two currencies, where they where they've been able to get away with MMT, and not have inflationary pressures. And we think we can. Um, I think it's fantasy. I think the dollar is going to end the year below eighty-eight. If it doesn't, if it if it ends the year over ninety, I'll be very surprised. But. Um, you know, I just think that this is a transition point for the US economy, and that at a certain point here, I expect gold and silver to find a bottom. And if, if, if uh, we can get above $30 in silver and above tw- um, 2000, then we can get a new bull run here. The bull run can continue. Now, those are the levels that I think we can basically say, yeah, we're back in a bull market. But I think you can go lower than that for when the bull market actually you can anticipate it kicking into gear, which I think would be 28 on silver and 1950 on gold. So those are real targets to look for.
0: Tier 1 Silver is a Canadian precious metals company focused on the exploration and discovery of world-class silver and gold deposits in Peru. The company's management team has a record of monetizing exploration successes and a strong ability to raise capital. Tier 1 has assembled a portfolio of assets in Peru, including Amelia, Coastal Batholith, the Wheel Icoyo Project, and the flagship silver gold project Curibaya, which is rapidly advancing towards its first drill program. Tier 1's listing is pending on the TSX Venture Exchange under the ticker TSLV. To learn more and to stay updated, go to tier1silver.com. That's tier1silver.com. Okay, so if we're going to still see a dip, uh it seems to be what you're looking for. Have you been on the sidelines with cash? Do you have I see the list you put out on Twitter and on Seeking Alpha. You know, do you have your targets out there that you're looking to buy if gold and silver hit those levels?
1: Um yeah, so back in January, when I turned bearish, at that point in time, I started creating a list of stocks that I wanted to buy on the dip. I, I, that list has grown from, from January to March to 15 stocks. So I don't know how many of those 15 I'll buy, but probably at least 10 of them when the dip comes. So yeah, I've basically been accumulating cash and accumulating a list of stocks that I want to buy on the dip. I always like to buy dips. I mean, that's when you make you get really good entry prices. And and it gives me an opportunity to improve my portfolio, kind of fill in the blanks, you know, buy stocks that you don't own that you wish you owned, kind of thing. Um, And yeah, that's how you have. That's how I've done it as a long-term investor. I always thought of gold and silver as long-term. I never invest in a stock for one year. Never, never, never. It's always two to three, five years down the road is always my uh, target. I'm always a long-term investor, so. Buy the dips for the long term. Um, I'm not expecting, you know, 2013. I mean, if we go back to 2012, in 2012, we peaked right around 1930 on gold. Over 18 months, it dropped 40%. So we went from, let's say, if you use 2000 as a round number, it dropped to 1,200 in uh, 18 months. And so now we're down, you know, from almost 2,100, we're down to 1,700. But you know are we, I don't think we're going down to 1,300, you know another 40 percent move over 18 months and 2013 repeating itself because of all the factors that I talked about before. But it's not inconceivable that MMT works and that the economy starts roaring back this summer, and everybody and, and inflation say stays under two and a half percent. And we have the, you know, that's a possibility. And silver just gets, you know, gets stuck here at twenty two dollars, and gold gets stuck at seventeen, sixteen fifty to seventeen hundred. I mean, that's not an impossibility. It's just not what I'm expecting on the. You know, so,
0: Don, would you be willing to share maybe a couple names, uh, those targets you have to maybe buy if gold and silver dip down?
1: Uh, I posted my list on my website. Um or let me ask you this.
0: One thing you I, one thing you always say is uh you look for not just companies that are going to pr- produce from their first mine but you like to identify junior producers that are about to bring on their second mine and that's often when you get a nice another nice share price re-rating. Are there any second mine producers that you have your eye on right now?
1: Um you mean companies that own one and that I think they're going to get a second one?
0: Yeah, the second mine is about to come online.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, I'll answer that in a second, but first I want to talk about my list. So I already own uh, 150 stocks. I'm like Eric Sprott, I own everything. <laughs> but I own very small uh, ca- um, cost basis on exploration and uh, development stocks. I mean, like 0.5% or less, small positions. And most of those but I'm overweight producers. So most of the, you know, when I take a position in a drill story, a development story, I take a small position just, you know, again, a lot of it is to have, you know, have fun. It's like, but where I'm going to, where I'm overweight is in producers and that's where I expect to make my money. But so when, so, and at this time there's not a lot of producers that are cheap. I know I have K Rora on my list. I want to buy them on the dip because I don't own them. But that's another one that they're kind of a a one mine uh, stock that I think is going to probably add a second one. Another one that I own own that I think is going to be a second mine is Pure Gold. I think they're going to have a lot of cash flow. Another one is Gato's Silver. They have a single mine. They just came in. They don't have any debt. I think they're going to add a second mine. Those three look really good for you know Pure Gold's building their mine, Gato's in production, Carreras in production. Those are the kind of companies that I look for, real quality single mine companies that I think are going to add another one. Another one, K92. K92 is a single mine. Great, fantastic cash flow. Great exploration. They'll probably add a second one. Then Rocks Gold. Another one, single mine. So I look for these single mine companies, but I you know, I like to get in them early, of course. I don't like to wait around. Rora kind of got away from me. I didn't realize how good a property it was, but now I'm realizing it's a really good property uh, another one i have on my list that i want to buy the dip is van gold i mean I, I looked at it originally i didn't like it that much then i relooked at it and it looks really good i'm really impressed i, I think it's i think it's going to they're, they're going to start off mining about 2 million ounces and so that's pretty good if they can just maintain that and then find and then in, expand their resources so that that's another one so there's a long list for you but I do want to say something about this silver squeeze. Um, so, so, I've been in the silver squeeze movement, if you will, since like 2008. I mean, <laughs> I go way back. Um, actually, you know, probably before that, but you know, the, um, but I would say, because I didn't even um, start my website till 2012. So, who was I really communicating with? I wasn't communicating with a lot of people back in 2008, but as far as an, an expectation, of a silver shortage, I'm you know I was in it really early. I've been saying that there's not enough silver. So once um, the investment class wants say forty percent of supply, and last year they did. so the inventories are starting to shrink. once there's a basically one billion ounces of silver supply, um, and if the demand is about forty percent by investors, which is 400 million ounces, Last year, the ETF soaked up almost that much. Um, Once the investors want about 40%, it won't take long to basically empty out the drawers. And the only thing that you're going to get silver is from the mines. And it's basically a just-in-time inventory system for the manufacturers. Their silver, I would not be the least bit surprised if a lot of these companies' silver is coming directly from mine. Not directly. I mean, they basically mine it, comes out of the ground, goes to the refinery, goes to a manufacturer, right? That's their just-in-time inventory system right now, I think. It's pretty close to that. My point is this, is that there's no middleman. There's no inventory. There's no place where that inventory goes and sits, and then basically Sony calls them up. You know, or I, Apple calls them up and says, OK, or Apple's vendors call them up and say, OK, send me my send me, I need, you know, two tons of silver, you know, whatever. Um, I, I think it's getting to the point where we almost have a just-in-time inventory system or we're going to have one. Um, and so what's going to happen is you're going to get um, competition uh, between uh, investors and fabricators. And it's basically a 60-40 kind of split right now, I think. And it's getting tight. And so I've I've been saying this for twelve. You know I've been thinking this for like twelve plus years, or at least more than I, got. I I wrote this in my book. So I wrote my book in two thousand nine, two thousand ten. I think the first version of my book came out in two thousand ten. So I wrote it in two thousand nine. In that book, I said that the one of the big risks for silver investors is that silver would have a shortage, and this isn't necessarily a good thing, because If it's we have shortages, then they're going to the G seven. Basically, is going to say that silver is a strategic metal, and if it's a strategic metal, then they're not going to sell it to the public anymore. You'll be able to sell your sell yours back, but you won't be able to buy it. You'll be able to buy sovereign coins, but you won't be able to buy bars. One thousand ounce bars, those are off the off limits for sure. But I think they'll take it down to one hundred and even ten ounce bars, where you can't even buy those. So once that happens. Um, I think the price of silver crashes. Now, when does that happen? I think, it's, I think we're fine until we get to $75 silver. I, some guy this week said $100. He probably is right. But once you get to somewhere around $7,500 silver and you have some serious shortages, the manufacturers are going to start screaming, saying, we can't find our silver. We're shutting down our plants. And at that point in time, I see silver basically designated strategic metal. So this silver squeeze movement, I mean it was destined to happen because there's just not enough silver, and we're gonna find that out I but again, until we get over thirty dollars silver, you know you know slow down because so, don't, so
0: so Don, are you on record now saying that silver don't expect it to go too much over a hundred? Am I hearing that correctly, or am I misunderstanding I, I'm,
1: you? I'm saying that there's that it's a very strong possibility I'm saying it's gonna happen, but I, I think that silver could go easily go to three hundred dollars because of shortages if the governments don't do anything. If the governments make it give it, make it a free market, if silver is a free market asset, I think silver goes to 300. If they start cracking down, I don't know if we get to 300. Again, it's just a possibility. And I'm the only one voice out, I haven't heard anybody else say, say this, but yeah, that, that's my expectation. And that's why I plan to be selling a lot of silver miners from, from $50 to $100 silver. I want to basically lighten up, take my profits because I don't want you know, announcement. If they make an announcement overnight, the price of silver could drop $25 in one day. I don't want to be sitting on, you know, all these profits with this hanging over my head. So by $100 silver, I'm going to be out of probably 80% of my silver miners. I'll keep the gold miners, but that's how much that's how worried I am about silver being a strategic metal. For instance, there's a billion ounces right now in the ETFs, one billion. So, I mean, they can, all they, they can make those illegal overnight. I mean, the g seven, all the g seven, because all the silvers in the g seven um, countries. So, if the g seven decides, okay, let's do that. Let's make it a strategic metal. Uh, it's going to be tough. I mean, people talk about the black market keeping the price of silver up, but if you if you dump a billion dollars of silver onto the market, it's going to take a few years for that silver to work through and then if there's only silver coins being, you know, sold, you know, basically your uh, investor Im- investor amounts going to drop from, you know, 40-50% all the way down to 20-15%. Just on the coins alone, but that's you're going to have inventory of silver for, you know, a good 5 years. So, I don't see silver blasting off to 300 if that uh, scenario unfolds.
0: Well, Don, thank you for your updated view on the markets. To learn more about Don's service, go to goldstockdata.com. Again, Don, appreciate you coming on the show and we'll be touching base in a couple of months.
1: All right, excellent, Bill. Thanks for having me back.